Hi, welcome to On The Daily, a podcast about finding the acoustic you. I'm your host, Danielle McCleary. I am a serial optimist and a champion of people who has long been on a search to truly see people and help you peel back all of your layers and become the most acoustic, authentic, and best version of yourself. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Welcome, everybody. Happy Tuesday, or whenever it is that you're listening to this. Rachel Todd is our guest today. Rachel Todd is former Miss United States. She is a business owner. She is a yogi. She is a health coach. She is a mom. She's a stepmom. And she's also just one of the most pulled back, genuine, authentic human beings ever. And I know I say that about a lot of our guests, but I've gotten to know her really, really well. And she's actually one of my best friends. So I know her from a very personal level, as well as just the way that she conducts herself in this life. And this conversation is just that. I mean, I think of all of the interviews I've had so far, this was the most just like stripped back, felt like we were just hanging out on a balcony drinking wine and having a conversation. And I'm really just excited for you to hear her words. We talk all about our generation and generations after us and expectations versus reality and what that looks like and how we can kind of overcome some of those fears or anxieties around who the world thinks we should be juxtaposed of who we actually are. So I'm so, so, so pumped for you to hear this episode. If you are just joining us, welcome. Welcome to On The Daily. This podcast was created as a way to give people in my network, friends of mine, friends of friends, a platform to share their story. And I think it's just been so much fun to do that. And we've had so many amazing guests on this podcast. Go back and listen to some. Last week, my friend Tina Jackson was here and she is such a breath of fresh air and such a light. But the good news is every episode is its own. There's no sequential order. So you can literally pick anyone you want and dive in. So go back, listen, tell us what you think. Before we get into this interview, though, I have to tell you about my new favorite CBD company. Their name is Equilibria. They are women-owned. They are POC-owned. And they are just dope freaking humans. These girls are changing the game, in my opinion, for what CBD is and can be. When you order from them, you get a dosing specialist, somebody to help you learn about CBD. And it's all hemp CBD. So you're not going to get high. There's no, there's no hallucin, like hallucinatory THC, nothing like that in it. It is all just for wellness. And when you meet with a dosing specialist, they teach you what you should be using CBD for, when you should be taking it, how much you should be taking. And then you can also get your questions answered. So if you do have any reservations around taking CBD, maybe you have other medications you're on or other illnesses and you want to know if you know it's going to mix well, they will answer all of your questions. They have nurses, they have geniuses, scientists, all the things working with them. And so I have really been loving getting to know them their product is amazing. Their product packaging is so beautiful. If you do want to check them out, go to Equilibria's website. Use my code Danielle on the daily at checkout. You will get 15% off your order. And tell me what you think because I'm obsessed. All right, let's get into this. The Rachel Todd coming at you. On the daily family, welcome. I'm pumped. 
one of like my best friends in the whole world is here. So good luck getting us to focus. But world, this is Rachel Todd, the Rachel Todd. Hi, Rach. Hi. How you doing? So good. Great. How's that baby cooking in that belly of yours? Well, I'm currently playing a meditation for the baby on like a microphone on my stomach. I love that. Amazing. I think it's cooking. So I'm really pumped you're here. I start every episode with a clearing. I don't know if you've listened to the podcast. I'm just going to pretend that you listen to every episode and you know exactly what I'm talking about. But basically, clearing is just anything either we're going to both say whatever we need to clear before we jump in so we can be uber present with where we're at. So obviously, it is three hours time difference. So what do you need to clear this evening in Florida? Mm, You want me to go first? Yes, please. How long is your clearing usually? I mean, not that. I mean, whatever. It's like just something. She's like, let me tell you about the time I was two. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Well, it feels like everybody that I need to take care of in life is being taken care of. So I'm very at peace right now and feel really open, especially because of a lot of the conversations I've been having lately with people and connections I've been making. So I feel pretty cleared. I went on a nice long bike ride today. I'm sunburned and it was a good day. It was a good day considering... I'm sure people are tired of talking about how times have just been so crazy. So considering that, it was a really good day. I love that. We are currently the argument in this house, which you will understand because you know both myself and my fiance, is when the right time to get a new dog is when you lose one. And in my mind, it's happening like tomorrow. And in Breezy's mind, it's not happening for months. And Unfortunately, I will probably win this battle. So in my brain right now, I've been like going over the conversation like a thousand times of like how it's going to go and how long it's going to take, like, I guess, Breezy to just be okay with it. That doesn't sound like a discussion at all. No, it it honestly probably won't be. I mean, I wish that it was, but like, I don't know. Ever since, I mean, and there's so many, she's like, it's just, obviously when we're recording this, like it's only been like a week since Maggie passed. And I just like have this weird need to have another dog that I can like give my love to. And like, obviously I have Skye and I love her and like she gets our love, but there's like half that like needs, I need to put that somewhere. So I don't really know how to explain it, but my clearing is that that has been weighing heavy on my mind today. I'm like breezy. So is it a morning thing for her or it's a, let's just like be in the presence of only having one responsibility for an animal right now. Cause it's kind of nice to have one less for a hot minute. Oh yeah. It's for sure that it's the latter for sure. Like in her mind, a new anything is her taking care of it and her doing all these things, even, you know, cause she and you are very similar in this way where you like, you take on everything, even if you don't have to. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, we'll figure it out, but That's what's going on with me today. So I think I want to tell the people a little bit about how you and I met because I think it it will feed very nicely into my questions for you today. So I met Rachel at a retreat and she was very clearly an overachiever right off the bat and stood up and had 
these glasses on that I was like, those aren't even real. And in my, I very much like full admitting, like judged so hard. I was like, I am not going to like this girl. I knew that you were like a beauty queen. And I was like, whatever. Like I was so anti Rachel. And then by the end of that weekend, not only did I love Rachel, but like what I didn't realize is that she would become very quickly one of the best friends I have. So this is a really good opportunity to say that you should never judge a book by its cover because Rachel, you are, I mean, obviously one of the funniest people I know, but you're also one of the most like real and like down to earth people I know. And I get the feeling that a lot of people mistake you and what they think you are with what you actually are. So my first question, very similar to what I ask most people is who is Rachel Todd in this now? And who is she? What makes her tick? What is she passionate about? What do you want the world to know about you now? Those glasses were fake. They were. They're blue light glasses, but I just really enjoy them with outfits sometimes. Also, I have to make another bullet point that that which we immediately identify in somebody else and we try to resist is something in ourselves that we are working on or realize or need to realize. And I know that you probably know that. For sure. I knew immediately. I was like, this girl is so competitive. She always has to be the one that answers it. And I that's exactly how I am. So I was like, ugh. Just for those who are listening, and maybe that's a revelation. I mean, it was a revelation for me. And I wish I could turn that off or like get that to stop. But man, it is such a truth with people. You just woof, don't like in others what you're needing to face in yourself, work on in yourself, become more aware of and accept perhaps, you know, maybe it's not something I have to change. I think what I have at this point in my life at almost 34 years old realized is that I have a great disparity. Like inside of me, there is this, Ooh, we both need to work on our likes. There is this person who very much doubts herself and doubts what she's capable of and worries a lot about what other people are thinking and tries to people please and is afraid a lot of times to be seen. And then there's this outward appearance of that girl has everything together. Her life has been a bowl full of cherries. She walks into a room and gets anything that she wants and she knows how to put herself together and Therefore, I shall hate her, which kind of perpetuates this self-fulfilling prophecy that then I feel that energy from others. And it only continues to feed that side of me inside that's like this middle schooler who struggles with all of that because I did. And so I have made it my mission for a long time to really, really connect with human beings. And at every opportunity that I am given to share in the most vulnerable way possible. In a lot of ways, try to catch people off guard by saying exactly what they might be hoping I would say, you know, something that's self-depreciating or the truth, (laughs) so that they will realize that I'm likable or that this is really who I really, really, really am deep down inside. And social media has really provided a really great outlet for that. There's tons of ways. There's lots of outlets in this day and age for that kind of an outlet. 
you have found many of them yourself. And in my experience, the more we connect that way, I feel the movement happening in this world of connection and vulnerability and energy shifting towards people who really do just want to help and serve others. And they're genuine in those intentions. At least I hope that's who I'm finding left and right. I'm so glad you said that, that there's a disparity. Do you feel like you are more often understood or misunderstood? I feel like more often than not with women in particular, and that's who we have in our community, right? That's like women, we form communities. And so we get into these circles, whether it be to get together to eat a cheese board and drink wine and watch The Bachelor or to go to a retreat or go on a Mexico vacation together or simply to go to a coffee shop, we commune. I think that there is still a big issue with women not valuing themselves so that when they feel that shame spiral happening, when they meet another woman that they find to be intimidating, they want to misunderstand and they want to find something wrong or something that they should pick apart so that they can obviously make themselves feel better. Or I should be saying that I can make myself feel better. There is this, if you're not working on that awareness, you can really go into that shame spiral all of the time and it really takes a toll. And so I think that more often than not misunderstood because of the lack of awareness. And do you think that throughout your life, do you think that's affected your ability to truly be your most authentic self? Yes. I think that that has stunted the progression, like stunted the speed at which that could happen, slowed down the self-actualization process. Can you think of like very specific times in your life that were like pivotal in this that you can remember that you, you know what I mean? Like those moments in our life where we go, yes, that moment was exactly the moment where I realized that I was accountable for myself, whatever it is. Like, do you have moments like that, that you can think of that kind of in your journey, you were really misunderstood and it did kind of change your trajectory for the better or worse a little bit? Yeah, I have a lot of them are related to pageantry, which I think are, they're fun stories because that's kind of a world that a lot of people don't dive into or know about behind the scenes. Tell us about pageantry, Rachel Todd. <laughs> Tell us about it. Oh, goodness. I don't get to talk about it very much anymore. So thank you very much for this opportunity. So I started competing in college because I needed scholarship money. Well, actually, peel back the layer. I had a boyfriend in college. He was my very first boyfriend. All of the things like lost my virginity to him, loved him. He started dating a track and field girl and basically left me like in the dust. I had started to build self-esteem in dating him. He played football and blah, blah, blah. And then it was like, you're the worst. Like you're such a loser. And so I thought, well, I'll compete at Miss UCF, my college pageant. And if I can be Miss UCF, Jordan, yes, I know where you are, Jordan. I'm just kidding. Jordan. (laughs) Jordan, you just got called out. He's in North Carolina. If Jordan... You just went harder than Taylor Swift did on her exes. You just went harder than Taylor Swift did. Keep going. If this gets sent to Jordan in some form or fashion, that'd be awesome. He apologized years later. It was great. So I thought to myself, like, 
Jordan will never forgive himself. If I am Miss UCF and I get to walk across the football field at one of his games, it'll be great. So that's why I started competing. Then I learned that you could earn scholarship money. It was wonderful. You didn't already know that because didn't, hadn't you, oh, I guess Miss Congeniality had that come out yet? Didn't you know that it was a scholarship program? This is a scholarship organization. I didn't know. Well, I mean, no, I didn't know. I just thought it'd be fun and I thought it'd be a good payback. And so I won $600 cash for getting first runner up or a check. And that covered my books for the semester. It was wonderful. And I was on an academic scholarship otherwise. So that was just giving me a little extra. The following year, I competed again in Miss UCF. So it was my senior year thinking, well, I got first runner up. Clearly, the only direction we can go from first runner up is second runner up. (laughs) Second runner up. It was horrible. And I was mad and all of the things. So long story short, I find myself on my way to Miss Florida, which I didn't know what Miss Florida was, but it was the big ticket. So once you win a state title, you get to go to the national pageant, which is Miss America. Without that state ticket, you cannot just go enter Miss America. So I prepare for Miss Florida and I was literally living back at home. I graduated college and I had my golden ticket to Miss Florida and I didn't realize what I was entering into. So I'm preparing most of the time with my mom and I read article upon article. I would listen to NPR. I would practice my talent routine. I was eating what I thought was healthy back then. I was out speaking on behalf of her foundation, advocating for hunger and homelessness in our community. We were in the year 2009, so the recession was happening. Life was good. I was in a little like preparation bubble. And I pull up to the pageant. I drove myself in my broken down 1995 Jeep Grand Cherokee. And all these parents are there to like unload their daughters into the dorm rooms because you're there for a week to compete. 48 women, 48 women who had prepared for the majority of their life for this pageant. Some of them, this is their third, fourth, fifth year coming back because you can compete at the state level as many times as you need to. So my answer to your question is this is the point where I got there and I had to keep bringing myself back to the path that I had gone on with my mom for preparation and trust that this person that I had grown into and brought to this competition really was there for a purpose and that I needed to continue to just like show my heart, even though everything, when you enter a room of 48 incredible women tells you to like close up. Oh, yeah. Especially 48 incredible women that like you said have been doing this their whole lives. And this is literally what your third pageant? Third pageant, first time to Miss Florida. Yeah. So it's definitely it was like, you don't belong here immediately. You don't belong here. What are you thinking? Go home in my head. And so I'm on stage. It's preliminary night. So you have three nights of prelims. You make it to the finals. And there's onstage question, which we all know and love because it's hilarious if it goes awry. And I had been studying the millennial generation. And I thought, well, I mean, we are millennials. And so I was just obsessed with the fact that this was new information at the time. There were articles being written left and right about the millennial generation that just 
so many incredible things were being said about this generation. And obviously at the same time, people were doubting this generation. And so I became obsessed with learning everything that I could about the millennial generation so that I could be an advocate as Ms. Florida was my goal, in addition to hunger and homelessness, to go out and speak to people my age and say, this is what the world is expecting of you. This is what the world sees in you live up to it, you know, because when people find out what they're capable of, they will rise. So long story short, I'm backstage and I hear other questions being asked as girls are going across the stage, they pick out from the bowl. And a couple of the questions were things like, if you could be any Disney princess, which one would you be and why? Or if you could be any perfume in the department stores, which scent would you be? And I just remember standing back there and I just know that there was something so much bigger than me, like at this moment in my life. And I just thought, please give me something that gives me another shot to show these judges who I really am. And this is post having your private interview with the judges. And so you've already connected with them in a room privately. They're in a panel for nine and a half minutes that's timed and everything. So I had already had that experience. So I walk out on stage and I will never forget this moment. I reached into the bowl and another former Miss Florida was the one holding the bowl. And I'm like shaking on stage. We're wearing like red cocktail dresses the whole nine. And I just find my mom in the audience And so I'm listening to the question and it's a lot of people say that your generation is selfish and don't care about anything but themselves. What can you say to defend this? Whoa. I still still get chills. And so I looked at my mom and I could feel my eyes were like filling up with water and I saw her face and her face was like, get it. (laughs) Chrissy was so stoked. Chrissy was like, yes. Shout out Chrissy. We love you. I have this on camera or on film somewhere. The look on my face was like deep breath in. And then I was just like, there was an article in the Washington Post in April of this year that featured the millennial generation. And what they're saying about the millennial generation is that we are the greatest generation since the 1930s, that we have this incredible desire to change the world. There's been an abundance of applications to Teach for America. Applications for Peace Corps are up 144%. And so as a millennial myself and as Miss Florida, it would give me like no greater joy than to go out and to speak to my generation and let them know what is being expected of them, to let them know that they need to rise up, that this is what they're capable of. And it just so happened that one of our judges was the vice president of communications for the whatever Washington Post that we just named. He was the vice president of communications for that newspaper. And so I knew that because we get our bio for the judges prior. This turned into a really long story. I looked right at him when I was giving this answer. And I knew that he knew that I knew my facts. And it was just like, I walked off the stage and it was prelims night, but I was just standing there and I was like, holy shit, I think I just won this thing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I didn't really know, but I really felt really good. But you did win that thing. So my point to answer your question is that in that moment, I could have very easily 
gone to like a very stereotypical answer or a short answer or not allowed my emotions to carry over. But I think that when we lead with that vulnerability, when we connect with human beings, even though they were sitting 40 feet away from me off stage, I was connecting with those people and looking at them right in the eye. And I knew that they could tell that there was emotion in my voice and that as human beings, that nonverbal communication, we can't deny when that stuff happens. When you have those goosebump moments, when you have those moments of miracles that happen, I call those miracles because you can't force that stuff to feel and happen. I mean, you've told me so many beautiful stories about when your dad prior to him passing and when he was ill and prior to him going into hospice and the connections with him and Owen, those are unexplainable. And that's pretty much the only reason that I can explain to people that I don't know what the answer is when it comes to that connection with other human beings. I just know that when you have those unexplainable moments in life and you feel that connection with another human being, it's probably one of the most beautiful things you'll ever experience. Well, and it's so interesting because I just think about these judges, they knew they know that it's only your third pageant, right? Like they know your bio. They know that like you're not a pageant girl by definition. And so like who knows what they were expecting, right? Like who knows if they were expecting you to fail or if they were hoping that you'd fail or hoping that, I mean, who knows? Like I I can only like my mind just wanders when I think about even like the girls there, you know, were they curious? Were they wondering, like, is this girl for real? Like, who knows? But it's like you just said, there's these things. I call it synergy, right? It became very clear, I think, for you in that moment that you were exactly where you needed to be exactly when you needed to be there. And it obviously, okay, so it obviously took you on a course. And you did win that pageant, correct? Mm-hmm. And you went on to compete in Miss America, which you also won. No. Oh, talk about it. I lost Miss America. Oh, yeah. You lost Miss America. Mm-hmm. So that's the second half of my answer to your question, which is why I think it's cool that it's all wrapped up into one linear story. I had six months from the point that I won Miss Florida till you show up at Miss America. And... I completely, in hindsight, allowed all of the people that were helping me to prepare. So then you're in this (laughs) preparation bubble, but it's like a pressure cooker. And I allowed people to fill my ears with things like, wow, like you won Miss Florida on your first try. Like, oh my God, you're going to go to Miss America and it's just going to be great. Or you are so smart and so well-spoken or your talent is so unique or all of these things. And I mean, I worked my ass off when I prepared for six months. I really, really did. I was so focused. It's just that I got there and the woman who showed up to Miss America is not even close to the person that showed up to Miss Florida. The woman who showed up to Miss Florida could have done a lot better at Miss America. The woman who showed up to Miss America bombed it for herself. And I had a facade. I had a, this is what's being expected of me or this air about me that I knew was off-putting. I just didn't know how to peel it back when I got there. And maybe it was partly protection, partly you're in a room now at this point with 52 high caliber women and you take what was at Miss Florida times like a hundred. There was girls who were already graduated from medical school 
at Miss America. We were like 24 years old and she's a doctor. (laughs) I'm sorry. What? (laughs) It makes me wonder because, you know, and I'm just going to ask you this because I think you're okay with that. Like maybe tough questions, but you mentioned that you studied the millennial generation and how there's something that is expected of us. And like, we need to live up to that. And then you go to Miss Florida, you get a question on exactly that. You answer with exactly that. And then you go to Miss America. Do you think there was a part of you that was kind of have, I mean, I almost call it like an out of body experience because it seems like you just weren't you. Like, it just seems like you showed up there with everything that you thought you had to be to be there instead of just Rachel Todd, this is my fourth pageant. I'm actually really fucking smart. And we'll see how this goes. Because that's the Rachel I know is just I am who I am. And we'll see how this goes. But it sounds like the person who showed up to Miss America maybe was I am Rachel Todd, but I have to be X, Y, and Z because that's what's being expected of me. And that is the assumption. And that is the look of someone who shows up to Miss America. Do you think that rings true at all? Yeah, for sure. There's looking back of, you know, I don't overanalyze it too often at this point in a whole decade later. So this has been a walk down memory lane. I definitely feel there were parts where I was out of myself. Yeah, for sure. I'm watching it happen, yet I'm in here, yet I can't bring these two to connect in order to just give everybody me. And there was this great pageant coach, actually. He's passed away. His name was Don Baker. He was a wonderful coach. And looking back at the work that he did, he was talking about positive psychology and he was talking about vulnerability. He just had different terms for it. He called it outward. He called it just needing to be outward and to speak with spontaneity. And when you're asked a question in your interview, you say exactly what's on your heart because that is what's going to come across as the most sincere. It's going to come out the easiest. And that's what's going to be read by people who are judging you, whether or not that's truly who you are. And he would work so hard to break down that barrier that I did not have at Miss Florida, but I built it in preparing for Miss America. And Perhaps in life, we break it down and build it again and break it down and build it again. And every time we break it down, there's another version of us that's prepared to show ourselves to the world. So what's the version that went to, was it then Miss United States? So then seven years passed and I did life. And then I realized that I had like one more shot at a national pageant before I, they call it aging out. There's actual age limits. So Miss United States allows you to compete until you are 30. And so I did it at 30 years old. And definitely part of it was like V for vendetta. And I lost Miss America. So I need to prove to myself that I'm capable of doing this and getting a national title. Definitely a part of it. Another part of it was I had gone so long without feeling like I had a platform or a reason to get out there and speak. So looking for another way to do that. Had you done another pageant since Miss America? Yeah, I tried to compete in the state level at Miss USA. So there's Miss America, Miss USA, Miss United States, and then a whole slew of other ones in between there. And I aged out of Miss USA. That's a whole other story. We do not need to go into that. I drove to Montana for a driver's license so that I could compete in Miss Montana USA. You're like, so I drove to Montana because I needed to compete. And that's what I did. And I pretended like I was from Montana. Listen, anytime someone tries to tell me that they're willing to do anything for X, 
goal, I'm like, let's do it. I mean, there is really no limits for me. I drove from Utah to Idaho to Montana, slept in my car so that I could go to the DMV the next morning as early as possible, bribed the lady at the DMV so that she would give me my license illegally in Montana, got a ticket in Idaho while driving there. Goals, man. You do what you can for them. Yeah. So showed up to Miss United States with a very much of a, this is me. And if I'm going to win a national title, it's going to be because you see me, not because you see anything else, not because I'm putting on any sort of front or facade or fake glasses. I see what you did there. (laughs) And you won. How did that feel? Did it feel as satisfying as you wanted it to feel? That night it did. That was the night Anthony told me he loved me before I won Miss United States. You know, in all honesty, I think it's a good point to make that it checked that box for me. I did it. I also had to realize in doing that, that that doesn't bring fulfillment, (laughs) which I'm sure a lot of, a lot of people are listening going, duh. (laughs) Well, no, but I mean, I think you just bring up a really, really good point when it comes to expectation, right? Like this whole episode is kind of taken this like, road of expectation and what our expectations for ourselves and expectations that others have of us and how what we have for others. But your expectation was that this is what you needed to do to prove to yourself that you could. But like you just said, it wasn't everything. It was a check off the box. I guess like you now, right, who has come so far, and you and I have had many conversations about this. What is your advice? Because obviously, turning 30 will really get you to not care so much, right? About others' expectations of you. So one of your superpowers is, I mean, this is what your whole platform was about, like speaking to your generation. So what would you say to the generation below us, to anybody who is in that season, right? Of feeling like they have to do something a certain way because that is what is expected of them. What's the advice there? What would you say to that little girl or little boy? Could speak to so many different age groups, I feel in this moment. That's hard, Danielle. There's so much that people have to experience. We're watching it happen on social media. It's playing out with some of that generation, whether it be their insecurities or how they can't be on social media as their real selves, or they have to have their full makeup and hair done, or they're putting their asses in the camera or whatever they're doing. And <laughs> power of the and. I had to go through that in order to experience and realize those things. I don't know that somebody saying these things to me would have even hit me upside the head. And and we can still talk about it and maybe it will for somebody. Maybe it will ring true for somebody. No, but maybe you just nailed it. I think you just nailed it. I think you have to go through it, right? So I think about, I get questions all the time from people that are in their 20s, early 20s, mid 20s. How are you so confident? Like, how are you so sure of who you are? And Have I always, as Danielle, have I always like kind of danced to the beat of my own drum? And I would say more so than most done me, regardless of like how other people feel about that. Sure. Did I also have to go through those moments of, oh, no, I have to do this because this is what's expected of me. Yes, but that was my truth at the time that has led me to what my truth is now. So I think you just nailed it is Maybe if you are hearing this and you're kind of going through a season of, oh my gosh, I feel that I am somewhere different than what is being asked of me. Maybe the advice is just, you got to go through that. 
you got to really go through that and feel all of that so you can get to the other side, right? Because it's just like another level of truth that you'll reach. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that somebody could have or has said. I mean, I went through a really amazing course through scholarship money from Miss America. I went through- a scholarship program. That would be harsher punishment for parole violators, Stan. May 5th, the perfect date. All you need, not too hot, not too cold. Just need a light jacket. Anyway, continue. I was in this incredible program. It was through a Harvard-affiliated course that was brought to the yoga school where I studied yoga. So they combined it, and it was mind-body connection positive psychology, like in teaching the science of, of human optimal performance. And I was put into a small group for studying and projects and all that. And these women, I, we now call the journey sisters, and I will forever be connected to these women. They're 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. They're wonderful. And I was the youngest one in the group. And I, I just always would say to them during our study sessions, because a lot of the course was virtual, I would be like, guys, is there any way that you can please inject whatever it is that you know now at the age that you are into my brain, please? Because I am trying to absorb this information and I I know that you guys are applying this information at such a different stage in your life and I need it to be applied to that stage of my life too, but now. <laughs> and I mean, obviously that's like some sort of sci-fi being able to take somebody else's wisdom or their experience or their path in life and like take it now at the age of 34. And I think that perhaps the generation that has grown up in this world of information and the availability of this information, if they choose to, to dive into it, you know, manifestation and the secret and vulnerability and the power of vulnerability and Brene Brown's work and TED Talks. If you are hungry for that information, I think you can accelerate it. I really do. I think you can become more observant of yourself and see it as things are happening and be the observer quicker than when I was in my 20s. Oh, for sure. I think about, I have this conversation all the time. I mean, even like kids these days that are coming out as like LGBT or trans or, you know, whatever it is that is happening. Their kids are doing that so much younger now. I mean, there's no way I was that self-aware when I was 16 years old, but I have a friend who, you know, was like 17. I mentor her and she came out when she was like 15 years old. And there were a lot of emotional traumas that she was working through, none of which had to do with the fact that she knew she was gay. And I just remember being so in awe of that kind of self-awareness at such a young age, because yeah, there's no way, there's no way that that would have been at that age, you know, and, and this is coming from a girl who never had to come out. I just dated who I dated, but it's an internal thing, right? Whether it's, you know, coming out or whether it's being who you are or whether it's doing exactly what you feel the call on your heart is to do. I, f I do feel you're right. I feel that with the information age, what is it, Gen Z, what they're getting access to that we, I mean, I guess our generation kind of had the old way and then we also got information, but it's all information from this point on. So I think you're right. Have you ever thought about if there's a formula for deciphering what it is that you are supposed to do, your truth, your dharma? Yeah. 
I don't know if I'm right. I think what it is, I think that trying to, if we're trying to figure out like what the call to your life is, right? I think that you got to write down your non-negotiables. I think it all comes from first what your non-negotiables are in this life. And that is maybe what you love, what you need, you know, what the things that you're doing in this life have to be surrounded by. And I actually did that, but I was a theater major. So that was kind of, there is like a certain amount of truth that happens, right? Like you have to be very, the truth that exists as a theater major is so raw that I think from the time I was in high school, I knew what my non-negotiables are. I knew exactly what I wanted, what I need, whatever I was going to do with my life, it had to have five things. So I think that's part of the formula. Like a compass or a list of, so virtues, values, that type of thing too. I wonder how that plays out for somebody who isn't raised in an environment or a family because those types of things were put into my head as well. So, I mean, how somebody gets themselves into a position where they're forced to figure that stuff out. To me, that's probably the number one reason why I would recommend that a young woman go into pageantry. If you haven't ever thought about these types of questions before, and then you don't take the time to figure out how you feel about them, you're not going to make a plan for your life anytime soon. And if pageantry is that catalyst for me, it was theater for you. Pageantry is a wonderful incubator. It's like, what the hell do you effing stand for? What makes you angry? What are you passionate about? Either go into pageantry or take a theater class. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you know, there's a statistic out there that says 70% of the world settles. Only 30% reach their fullest potential. And I think that it's just what you just said. You know, there's if you aren't raised in an environment where those conversations are being had all the time, because those conversations were being had all the time in my house. I mean, my dad king of what do you want? You know, what do you want? You follow what you want. My mom, you know, you can do whatever you want. And you know, it's just, that's how I was raised. So I didn't know any better, but yeah, I think you're right. I think moms and as a mom and you're a mom, your stepmom about to be like a birth mom. I will never let Owen think that he can just settle. He will be raised in a house where he will do exactly what he wants to do. And the the call on his heart, whatever that is, as long as it's not like serial killer, because then we're going to have a conversation. I'm crying. My pregnancy hormones make everything so sad. It's not sad. It's beautiful. it's beautiful. You get to do that for somebody. Yeah. I think what it boils down to is the two things that we've talked about. If we can't work on shedding those layers that everybody has them, right? I think we're in agreement on that. Shedding those layers of what holds you back from knowing what it is that you want to do with your life and not being afraid to say it out loud or declare it or whatever. If you're not ever given those opportunities to face those questions and really hammer it out, it kind of equals someone who settles or equals somebody who's willing to just live their life for others' expectations of them. Yeah, I mean, and that all, you know, obviously to not be tone deaf because I I don't want this to come off at all. Like we're not acknowledging that there are so many different upbringings and there are absolutely kids out there being told like they can't do anything that they want and they can't being told constantly by society or whoever that 
they will not be afforded the same opportunities as everybody else. But I do think it comes down to just know your non-negotiables. Know your non-negotiables and know that others' expectations of who you are do not have to steer you. They don't have to be your guiding course. No, they don't have to be your North Star. I still think though, and I, I agree with you that I would never want somebody to think that I'm ignorant to the fact there are people being raised in Section 8 housing or have come from situations where they really were told this is your future, this is your destiny, and you can't rise above it. And that there is such availability of this type of information and conversation and books and online courses and free resources that if somebody is feeling that pull or hears just a sound clip of that information, like Gary V, just little sound clips, even Eric Thomas, I mean, yes, follow that path. And go explore that if you're hearing this right now, because me and Danielle don't have all the answers. However, there is a reason why you're drawn to this type of conversation, this type of information and this type of mindset. And somebody in the 1930s, for example, who was given that mindset really didn't have as much opportunity to overcome it or change it by the time they were our age. Whereas now I think it's different. I really do. I have a question. Right now, in this point in your life, what's your mission? My mission is to exude love in the purest form that I possibly can. And in bringing a child into this world, in raising my stepdaughter, in being in a new marriage, everything that I do, I want people to feel that and I want whoever it is that might doubt that that's real or that that really it can be a way to live your life, that it is true, that it is heartfelt, that it is, don't doubt it, I guess, when you come into contact with somebody who gives you that sense, that feeling. Yeah. And what do you think is, if we think of the acoustic you, where is the acoustic you showing up the most in your life right now? And this season right now, 24 weeks into being pregnant, it's within right now. It's me internally talking about to myself, (laughs) have you taken the time to put your hands on your belly and just be mindful? And are you sending like the energy of love to this embryo? And are you are you doing the best you can right now to put aside the things that I might be going after if I weren't pregnant so that I can make that a focus? And it's, if I'm being completely acoustic, really hard for my being to do that. And I'm not saying I'm being completely unproductive and laying around holding my belly. I just know that that is so important. If there is obviously like you're about to give birth, you are a stepmom. That's been its own journey, which we'll just have to do a whole nother episode on what that is. What's like one thing you want like your unborn child to know right now about just being authentic in this life Mm. or your stepdaughter and your stepdaughter. I mean, don't, we don't need to take her out of it. I know you're a Gemini. This is hard for you. Fun fact, Breezy and Rachel have the same birthday. So (laughs) I ask questions to Rachel and I know exactly how hard or easy it is going to be for her to answer them. 
when the four of us are all together, it is like, how many more similarities can we find between my husband and Danielle and Rachel and Breezy? God, that there will be so many more opportunities in this world for you to clam up and close up and choose to not, to just not, to not. And it goes by so fast. It goes by so fast. You don't have time. You don't. I mean, we could go into a whole existential conversation about how time is a complete made up thing. However, you are aging and our bodies are aging and you just don't have the amount of time that you think you do. And so when this world tries to tell you to close up and to be something else and to live or up expects to, you to close up when this world expects you to close up. And when this world wants you to go along with the status quo and something is telling you that you shouldn't, there's a reason. There's a reason. And that's also a miracle too. We're a synergy, right? That's that's that moment where you get to choose. And I just hope to instill that in both her and any children that I get to influence in their lives that the more we can create that movement, right, of you raising Owen and getting to instill that in him, that we get to create this whole ripple effect of tiny humans who don't allow that stuff to shut them down, to close them off. Who don't let like the expectation become their reality. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You know how every episode of mine ends and it is with a quick fire round of questions I know you're not going to be great at this game, but... I need to say something before we finish. Please say whatever you want. I was going to give you time to do that, but say it now. I was so blessed to be introduced to this man who has passed away, and you can listen to him now. Anybody can find him. His name is Leo Biscaglia. Have you heard of Leo Biscaglia? You're nodding your head. And I think, to me, pull away the science, pull away the the statistics and all of that, that man, he was a lecturer of sociology in like the 60s, 70s, 80s. And people could watch him on PBS back in the day. And he has, he had, my grandmother had his records. And so we would be listening to Leo Biscaglia in her house. And then my mom would play him after my grandmother passed. And so I just, for anybody listening who is brand new to this stuff, or you've just stumbled upon Danielle because of some other reason, Google him, listen to his YouTube lectures. They bring me to tears every single time I listen to him. I just think he was a beautiful, a beautiful human being. We'll put him in the show notes. So if you're listening to this and you want to go find him, we'll put him in the show notes so you can go and spell it correctly. That's a good tip. Yeah. He's wonderful. Really, really, really brilliant. Okay. You ready for this quick fire round? Yeah. I've never done this. Yeah. I'm nervous. If you're anything like Breezy, this isn't going to be great, but here we go. It's one minute. I ask you questions and it's a this or that. There's no time to explain. I don't need the reason. I just need the answer. Favorite article of clothing you own? Oh, my yellow long skirt. Pizza or tacos? Pizza. Margarita night or wine night? Margarita. You're getting on a plane. Where are you going? Maldives. You can take three things to a deserted island. What are they? Music, healthy food, Mando. (laughs) Private plane or private yacht? Private yacht. Favorite restaurant? There's a place in California called Mexicali. There is. Or Gracias Madre. So good. Best piece of advice you've ever gotten? 
always be overdressed. Who cares? Wear an evening gown if everybody else is wearing shorts. Oh my gosh, you follow that so well. That is literally how you live your life. That is Rachel Todd's motto. Rachel Todd did not just recite her best piece of advice. She just recited her life's motto for you, you guys. (laughs) Going anywhere with Rachel Todd means you're going to have a photo shoot at least three or four times and you are probably going to be underdressed. The irony is that on my social media, if anyone goes to see me at all, I'm usually in yoga pants with no makeup on and I look uh, not a hot mess, whatever the opposite of that is, like a mess. You actually did pretty good on those questions. I actually, I'll give it to you. That was pretty good. Okay. So tell us, obviously you are the Rachel Todd, the Rachel Todd on Instagram at the Rachel Todd. Rachel is what? R-A-C-H-A-E-L. Listen, Rachel Todd has an account and she will not give it up. She's never made a post. So if anybody wants to go message her on my behalf, please feel free. But that is why we are the Rachel Todd. Yeah. That's just what she tells people. What else do you need people to know before we let you go? Mm, Because I want to hold myself accountable, there will be a book. I have to write a book. It's just been on my heart for five years. Five years too long. So I hope people will read it. I'm working on the title. Something. I mean, I have the chapter outline written. Something along the lines of like what I learned losing Miss America or I lost Miss America or maybe you could come up with something better probably. The Rachel Todd loses Miss America. No. Maybe I won't be coming up with it. Okay. Well, I'll hold you to that as your friend. I'll hold you to that. My friend, I love you beyond. This will not be the last time that we have Rachel on this podcast. There are just so many different things her and I can talk about and they will each be this long. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your heart. Thank you for being so open and vulnerable and taking time away from your beautiful family to spend some time with me. And I just love you so much. Thanks for coming. We're only celebrating like two years of being friends and we're already here. Like not even a year and a half. Look at us. Look at us go. You're amazing. You're amazing. Thank you very much. Love you. Rachel Todd, my girl, my, it's so crazy talking to her because in so many ways, her and my fiance Breezy are so much alike. It's crazy. And you look at them and they look 100% different. I mean, Rachel is such a girly girl. She dresses like to the nines. Like she has such an incredible, glamorous fashion sense. And obviously Breezy is so androgynous and perfect and amazing. And at the same time, they are so similar. So every time I talk to Rachel, sometimes I feel like I'm talking to Breezy. Yeah. I just really enjoy that conversation with her. I think that so often we get so stuck in this routine of how we show up in this world. And we get stuck in this idea of how we should show up in this world. And one thing Rachel does very well is she's very vulnerable about how she's kind of navigated through the obstacles of how she shows up in this world. So I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Y'all, two words, almond cow. If you haven't heard of it, where have you been? It's all over Instagram. It is the at-home nut milk maker that literally you press a button, easy cleanup. It takes two minutes and you have your own homemade nut milk. You can literally put any nut you want in there. It will just blend it right up. And there's no added ingredients, obviously, because you make it yourself. We are obsessed with ours. We use it every single day. And if you want one, you can use my code. There's an affiliate link in our show notes, or you can go to Almond Cow's website and then use Danielle15 at checkout. That's Danielle15. Enjoy.
Next week on the podcast, we are interviewing Nick Prattley. He is so many things, but he is an energy healer above anything else. The conversation we have about owning your energy and what energy means in this space of consciousness that we all live in is so incredible. I'm so pumped for you to hear it. Go subscribe to the podcast. If you are on, if you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, give us a rating, give us a review, share it with everybody you know. Obviously, this podcast is available anywhere you listen to podcasts, but make sure that you're telling your friends about it because it is a word of mouth business. And we want this to be in as many hearts and ears as possible. You can always find me on Instagram. I am Danielle underscore on the daily. The podcast is at on the daily pod. Tell us what you love. Slide into our DMs. I will read every single comment, every single DM you give, and I will respond to every single one. So I'm so excited to connect with you. And wherever you are, I hope you are having the day that you need. And we will see you back on Friday with a solo episode and then next Tuesday with my friend, Nick Prattley. Have a beautiful day. Bye.